Today, uh, I want to start by praying and asking the Lord for His grace and for His mercy as we get into His Word. Is that okay? Let's do that. Father, we thank You so much for Your love, for Your kindness, for Your graciousness and Your goodness towards us. That You, Father, have given us Your Word so that we may know truth. This is the only way to know truth. We don't evaluate truth through feelings. We don't evaluate truth through human perspective. We don't evaluate truth through pragmatism. We don't say it is true because it works for me. That's not how we define truth. But God, we submit ourselves humbly to your word and we say this is the only single source of truth. It is your word. And we bow to your word today in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I pray that you give me clarity of mind and of speech in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, we're in part two of our brand new series called The Glorious Gospel of Christ. I was fighting with the theme because I wanted to make it sound more woke. <laughs> you know, today they talk about being woke. You know, you got to be cool. <laughs> but, uh, but one thing I've realized about the gospel is that it has lost in most people's eyes its glory. It's no longer glorious. It's just my means by which I can feel like I'm okay with one day dying. <laughs> but we don't see the glory of this that we were given, the gospel. We did a video this past week, and the video was titled is Jesus of the New Testament, the same person as Issa or Jesus of the Quran. Is this the same person? I remember when we went through the book of Revelation, it is my personal belief that the Mahdi will be the Antichrist. Isa would be the false prophet. Because if you look through those profiles, they fit perfectly into um, our eschatology. Our eschatology as Christians are directly opposed to Islam's eschatology of end times. Eschatology is study of end times. And Isa will rise up. Jesus will rise up. The Quran says, and he comes to break the cross. Why? Because he comes to deliver the world of its twisted view of who he is, according to the, according to the Quran. Anyhow, so as we let that video out for one day, it was, it was just blood all over the place, crazy. People were just angry and, and um, fighting. And I had, instead of saying, making a statement that it came, was stated in the Hadith, I said it was stated in the Quran. And, uh, of course, that made everything unacceptable. <laughs> but as the conversations were being had, I thought, aren't we so blessed in the hope and the gift that we have in Christ and the message of the gospel which is so glorious versus the hopeless, the hopelessness that other religions view when they look into the future. To me, it was a revelation. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God to save us, so if you missed last week, I would like to encourage you to please listen to it because this is a follow-up thereof. And there's something that's so big inside of me that as a person who won't live, won't live, you know, more than twice what I've already lived, you know, it's, I'm in the middle of my life and many of us are in the middle of our lives and many are even past the middle point of life. Our lives are short, folks, and you have to decide not what you're going to stand against. You're going to decide what you're going to stand for. Just decide it. 
So much confusion exists when you have relinquished your responsibility to make a decision. It's like the person that wants to get married, but he's not sure, so he has so many options, and he's tormented by all these options. And that torment doesn't go away until he goes, you're the one. Let's do it. <laughs> Isn't that true? Right. Decision removes all confusion. Make a decision. Where you want to stand, who you want to serve, where you're going to find your truth, what is your source of truth. When you've made that decision, all confusion goes away and you can confidently live. And your life is so short. The question is, what are you going to, what are you going to live for in the short period of life? This is not part of my notes at all. I just want to say this. Why is God allowing us to spend these few years on this earth so filled with evil and so much darkness? Why is God allowing us on this earth? Well, Luminati's is one reason. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but there's another reason beyond Luminati's, and that is you have an opportunity to pour your life into this earth so that you can have rewards on the other side. We have been called here to live for Him so that we can enjoy what we have there. This is your, this is your moment. This is, the, this is what it's about. Glorify Him here. And it's so big in my heart that I cannot, for the life of me, go beyond this issue here of knowing that if I had to ask, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ inside of our congregation? Can somebody actually explain it? How many could? If you go into the church worldwide, I mean, in the United States, ask them. All right, you <laughs> outline the gospel. You know, it's going to be a disaster, right? Because we have lost our need for it, and therefore it no longer carries any glory. What is glory? Weight. Glory is weight. When you hear somebody's words that carry weight, you go, what's next? And then you want to write it down, you want to memorize it, because that person's words carries weight. Why? It's meaningful. It's true. And we have lost the glory of the gospel. People go like, hey, you know, when he's done with that series on the gospel, I'll come back. <laughs> when I, you know, it's not necessarily what does it for me. If the gospel doesn't do it for you, believe you me, you have a much bigger problem than feeling better and knowing how to turn your lemons into lemonade. You have a lot bigger issues than just psychological uh, blowing smoke at you all day long every Sunday morning. If the gospel doesn't excite you, the rest of the world should not. And so to me, I have put my stake in the ground. I know, you know, um, whatever the cost, whatever the cost, outlining the gospel is my biggest purpose in these four walls. So today, I would like to do two things only. And that is, I want to take a sneak peek into what fallen man looks like. Unbelievable. No. I want to take a sneak peek into what fallen man looks like. What does fallen man look like? Secondly, I want to look at the scriptural pathway out of that of man's predicament, man's fallen state. Why do you want to talk about fallen man, Jacques? Because until we know the need, we wouldn't have need for solution, right? And so we started last week 
and we touched the surface of what the Bible says about it, but I also want to show you in more depth. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle of all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. All right, so what happens is we get caught up in the realities of our purpose for which God created us. And in this, that we were made in his image and his likeness, we hang our hat on that issue there. And we forget to continue reading as to what happened to humanity. What happens to man after that, in Genesis 3, verse 1 and 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat, from, from, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the fruit or the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will what die okay <clears throat> so what we do in modern evangelical circles is that we ignore the reality of the fall of man and we zone in on i made in his image and his likeness yes you were yes i was yes man was yes that was god's purpose that was god's plan that was God's doing. But then man's undoing of what God did mattered. And if, if we don't understand that, then what did Jesus come for? Because that happens to be man's current state until Christ becomes Lord. <laughs> That's still man's current state. So if we ignore the reality of the fall of man, we will also lose the need for the redemption of man through the cross. So we must first see the ruin of mankind before we can properly see, understand, and grasp the rescue of God. If we don't see man's ruin, we won't understand God's rescue of those ruins. We are, or, or let me say this, Yet the realities of fallen man are what? Let's go through them, and I hope to do this quickly because I want to come to how man have gotten saved from his state. First, the first reality of fallen man is spiritual ignorance. Spiritual ignorance. Can everybody say spiritual ignorance, please? The word ignorance is from ignore. Ignoring the facts ignoring stuff there's an ignorance there and the first reality is man's spiritual ignorance and here we will see as a result of the fall of man the entire human race became ignorant spiritually ignorant of God and spiritual things in general John 1 verse 9 3 11 says it it says there was the true light knowledge of God understanding of God there was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Did you know that Jesus Christ was part of the creation? He made the world. God spoke it. Jesus made it. He was in the world, and the world, uh, let me say that again. He came into the world, enlightened man, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world... The entire human race, the entire part of fallen humanity, did not know Him. They did not know Him. They did not know Him. So He came to the world that He created, and everybody was like, who's He? I have no idea. <laughs> it was almost like looking at Jesus and saying, I do not know what or who I'm looking at, is like a blind man staring into the sun saying, I'm not seeing anything. That's exactly what happened to fallen man. Fallen man became ignorant. They couldn't recognize, couldn't identify, could not acknowledge. Remember Romans chapter 1? They refuse to acknowledge. They, can't, they cannot but ignore him. 
Then it says in verse 11, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. Think of it for a moment. All of the Old Testament prophets pointed ahead to the future coming of Christ, right? Is this true? I mean, do you realize that there's over a hundred very, very specific prophecies as to who He was going to be, where He's going to come from, how He's going to die. All of those details were prophesied in the Old Testament to the T. So here they have all of the Old Testament prophets pointing to, that's Jesus. When Jesus walked towards John the Baptist, John points at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God, that's Him, who takes away the sins of the world. He baptizes Jesus, Jesus comes out of the water, and a voice thunders from heaven, the very voice of God saying, This is my Son, this is Him in whom I'm well pleased. And everybody's like, I don't know Him, I know who He is. They completely couldn't but ignore him. This was fallen man's state. Man has not changed. Even though the prophets of old clearly described him, even though John the Baptist pointed him out, even though God's voice thundered from heaven and affirmed him, even though Christ's miracles was evidence of his deity, man was ignorant of him, man has not changed. He still doesn't acknowledge him. He still doesn't recognize his need for Christ. And as the ignorance in which they walked 2,000 years ago, they still walk in the same ignorance today. Spiritual ignorance, therefore, is still the result of fallen man. Folks, as we go through this, as we identify what fallen man looks like and is like, we can identify what Jesus came to save us from. Can you see that? Yeah. All right. Number two, fallen man is spiritually blind. The reason why man cannot know the truth is because man cannot see the truth. Fallen man is blind. The story of Samson, how that sin blinds you. You cannot know what you cannot see. And that is why when the penny drops with somebody, they usually say things like, Oh, I see what you mean, right? Well, they say, oh, I see, meaning, oh, I get it. <laughs> I understand now. I grasp it. Now I have knowledge of what it is you're saying. This is when the, oh, I see moment comes, okay? But fallen man is not just spiritually ignorant. He'll walk into Christ, not even know it was Him. But He's also spiritually blind. John the Baptist, I mean John, John 3 verse 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, He's emphasizing how true this is, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. He's spiritually blind. There's a total inability to see with understanding the things of the Spirit of God and your unregenerate state. As a fallen man, you are blind to the things of God. Now, realize that there's a huge difference between may not see and cannot see. Could you look at that for a second? Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he may not or cannot. You see? There's a huge difference. May not means you do not, have, you do not have the permission to do something. Even if you had the ability to, you do not have permission. Eve, you may not eat from that tree. You see, cannot means even if you were given permission to do so, you are unable to. <laughs> the inability of man, of fallen man, to see. They are unable to see. When Jesus said in John 3, 3, he cannot see the kingdom of God, this means he is totally blind to the kingdom of God. It's trivial to him. It's trivial. The things of God is trivial. And folks, again, um, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I want you to understand if there's ever been a mandate for me to share, it's like, why is the gospel of Christ glorious? If it's not glorious, it has no need. And if it has no need for you, well, Christianity is, you have no need for Christianity. It's almost like fresh air. 
If you ask somebody how important is fresh air, oh, it's top. Because three seconds later, I need more. You know, when we know our need, we can value something. But when we don't need, know the need of it, then everything else becomes more important than it. Then everything becomes worth living for instead of it. Why is the church so lackadaisical? Why? They've lost the glory of the gospel. Why did they lose the glory of the gospel? Because they have forgotten what it meant to be fallen man. Why don't they run to Christ over their sin? Because they didn't see it as sin. They didn't see it as them being ignorant of God, blind to God and to spiritual things. You see, he cannot, as a blind person, he cannot see with understanding. He, can, he has no spiritual perception and there's zero spiritual insight into anything. He's even blind to his own need for Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says the same thing. And it says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has done what? Blinded them, the minds and the, the, of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. So they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Have you ever attempted to minister to somebody and after you have ministered to them, they, they walked away completely uninterested in your ministry or your being saved, them being saved? It's like saved from what, you know? Many times we blame ourselves and we think that maybe we didn't come across lovingly enough. Um, maybe we weren't sincere enough and we wonder, what, it, what, it is, what is it that I did that, that destroyed this moment, this wonderful moment of ministry to the point where that person didn't respond? Did I not teach the gospel correct? Did I not do it in love? Did I, was I not passionate enough? Uh, was I not urgent enough? Was I not sincere enough? Was I not clear enough? Uh, when, when the reality is this, is that you were trying to describe a sunset to a blind person. As Stephen Lawson says, you were, walking in, you were walking a blind person through an art gallery, pointing out masterpieces that they cannot see. That is exactly why we are completely dependent on God to open the eyes of the blind so that they may see the hope to which they have been called. They cannot see it. <laughs> Fallen man is blind. <clears throat> Don't get so frustrated with them. They're just blind. They are spiritually ignorant. They are fallen. And so were you before you came to Christ. Be patient with people who are ignorant and blind because of the fall. You can get so excited about that sunset and the blind person's going, I don't have the same excitement you have for some reason. <laughs> they see nothing. You're excited about Jesus. And your family goes, Psh. can't wait for them to come back to, to earth. <laughs> In 1 John 2 verse 11, it says, but the one who hates his brother the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has done what? Blinded him. He's blind. This, this uh, refers to every single unbelieving, unconverted, unregenerate person on earth today. This is the result, folks, of radical corruption. There's nothing in them that enables them to see. They have the inability Two, reason. This is what fallen man has to experience. John 12, 46 says, I have come as light into the world. Can you see light is capitalized? I have come as light into the world, personified, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. This is why Jesus came, so you can see. That's why throughout his, his ministry, he was always opening the eyes of the blind. You want to tell me nobody had migraines? 
<laughs> but he was, oh, hey, who's blind? That's more important to me. I'm trying to make a point here. I'm going to open the eyes of blind people who are ignorant, who are ignoring this glorious gospel. I'm going to open their eyes like he did on the road to Emmaus. The third thing about a fallen man is that he spurch, he, he's, it's their spiritual hatred. Fallen man possesses spiritual hatred. And the spiritual hatred is becoming more and more vocal around the world towards those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. John 3.19 shows us uh, that uh, what fallen man's radically corrupted heart looks like. This fallen man's love that he has is for the things he should have hated. And he hates the things he was made to love. Let me say that again. Fallen man hates the things he should love and loves the things he should hate. This is fallen man. John 3, 19. This is the judgment that the light, personified, capitalized, Jesus. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, personified, capitalized, Jesus, for their deeds were evil. You see, fallen man doesn't want God any more than what a thief wants a police officer. Fallen man is not running around looking for Jesus because he's ignorant of spiritual things and he's blinded to spiritual things and he hates what it stands for and loves what it's against. And so this man is in big trouble, can you see? Fallen man has fallen much further than most people realize. And until they realize how far fallen man has fallen, they won't know their great need for this glorious gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so here we see, in John 3.20 it says, For everyone that does evil hates the light. So here we see, not only does, do they love darkness, the thing they should have hated, but now it says in John 3.20, for everyone who does evil hates light. So he loves what he's supposed to hate, and now he hates what he's supposed to love. Man, fall, fallen man is in bad shape. Somebody might say, well, that isn't true about me. I have always had a love for God. From, a child, from my childhood, I've always had a love for God. All I want to say about that at this point is that you're either going to believe your own heart, which is most decept deceptive above all things, or you're going to believe what the Bible says about you, fallen man. This is the state of fallen man. Because you see what happens is... Uh, um, we start cultivating and nurturing little statements that we think is true. And it makes Christ less necessary. <laughs> the church is filled with little statements that makes Christ less necessary. I've always had a heart for God. No, you haven't. As fallen human being, you have loved darkness and you have hated light. You were ignorant of spiritual things and you are completely blind to the things of God. So blind that you didn't even know your own need for God. And that's why you could say something like that. This is the state of fallen man. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all, th all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? All right. So we see that fallen man, number one, is ignorant. Fallen man, number two, is spiritually blind. Fallen man, number three, is spiritually, has spiritual hatred for light, for good, for God. Number four, fallen man is spiritually defiant. John 3, 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on that person. It doesn't go away, it stays there. All wrath of God wasn't swallowed up. It says right here, the wrath of God abides on the person who does not obey the Son 
and he will not see life. You see, John is writing an obvious fact. And that fact is that believing is opposite to disobeying. Or let me say it the other way around. Believing is obeying. Unbelief is disobeying. Read that verse again and you'll see. It says, he who believes in the Son, of, Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the opposite of belief, the Son will not see life. Spiritual defiance. You see, disobedient or disobedience is not a small thing. It's not a trivial thing. We are told here that disobedience is blinding. So what is disobedience? Just in short, disobedience is a refusal to submit. It's defiance. I will not. Disobedience is a refusal to humble oneself. Nope, not me. Disobedience is a refusal to deny oneself. Forget you. Disobedience is a continuation of living, doing whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it, with whoever I want to do it. This is disobedience. It's arrogance on steroids. Disobedience is pride marching or strutting to hell. That's me. That's disobedience. And so, believing is the opposite of that. You see, conversion is when a man comes to the end of himself, where he surrenders all of the above, surrender all his refusal to submit, he surrenders all of, all of his refusal to humble himself. He re surrenders that refusal of denying himself. And he humbles himself. Instead of strutting straight to hell, he now humbles himself on his knees at a cross. You see, man in the grave of sin and God in his glory of his throne, on his throne, that's a far distance. And it makes me, helps me realize how how, how far down God had to reach in order to get me. It, it outlines for me the willingness of God and the, the love of God that He would reach out so deep and so far in order to take that person who is absolutely blind of Him, ignorant of Him, defiant toward Him, disobedient toward Him, hating what God loves, and loving what God hates, and God still goes and He says, you're mine. You're mine. And I will make you come alive, Lazarus. You see, Lazarus didn't sign up and win the lottery to become the one Jesus was going to raise from the dead. No, Jesus loved, and He raised him. Isn't that so? Do you realize that it happened right before Jesus died and rose again? Jesus is making a point, folks. He never did anything haphazardly. He was never interrupted. Everything was calculated to the minute. He was filling every single prophecy that was ever spoken throughout time. And he says, I love you. Rise. A lot of other people died but not Lazarus. He died only for a little bit, and then God rose him. Number five, the state of fallen man, spiritual death. Folks, I want to tell you this, that when you realize what God saved you from, now you will be thankful. Thankfulness is not something you can do because you were told to. It's because your eyes opened. You know, God, somehow now, why is my heart so soft towards you? It's because I started seeing what you did for me. And until you see the gospel for what it is, you will never know what God did for you. And if you don't know what God did for you, that's why you will never really be thankful or humble. I'll show that to you in a little bit. So number five, the fifth truth about a fallen man is that he's spiritually dead. John 5, 25 says, truly, truly, in other words, this is really, really true. I say to you, an hour is coming and now is. It now is. It now is. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, like Lazarus did, and those who hear will live. They will live. 
Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and dead in your sins. Can everybody say dead, please? We read over these verses as if it didn't mean what it said. <laughs> you were dead in your sins. I was dead in my sins. It was sin that killed me. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the circumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. This simply means, folks, that we had zero spiritual life within us. We had died. Every fallen man before coming to faith in Jesus Christ was spiritually dead. So you have one of three choices when you read these verses, and I'll outline them for, them for you, and then you choose them, okay? Based on what you saw these verses say. You have one of three choices. Man is either well, man is sick, or man is dead. Man is either well, inherently good, man is Possibly, number two, sick and needs to increase in health a little bit. Add a little bit of Jesus to you so your life can be a little bit better than what it already is. You're just going through a little rough patch right now and Jesus is going to straighten you out. Or number three, man is completely dead and until he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, he will die the second death which is eternal. Which one did, which one did the Bible say we are? It says we're dead. You see, my answer to this question reveals how I understand the gospel, and if I understand the gospel at all. My answer to this question reveals whether I need Christ or not. And the world, or the church, let's start here, the church no longer needs Jesus. They now need motivational messages, that's all. Just not doing it for me anymore, I'm, I'm, I need something motivational. I really want you to get that out of your system, because Jesus couldn't be your pastor if that's what you were looking for. Paul couldn't be your pastor if that's what you were looking for. Titus could never have been your pastor if that was what you were looking for. Jude, forget it. John, I mean, look at how the ch seven churches were treated. Uh, understand this, that when we look to the gospel, we will find God's actual goodness toward us, and that will continually draw us toward God. And His goodness was that you, were much f you have fallen much further than you realize, and He reached much deeper than you realize in order to pull you out of death and pull you out of blindness and pull you out of ignorance and pull you out of love forwards, towards evil and hatred toward good. He pulled you out of that and He burst you anew when He opened your eyes. This is something to be thankful for. That is actual good news. That is good news. And that draws men when they are dead in their sins and they go like, I can live, I can live. You see, that's hope. That is actual hope the Bible talks about. Spiritual death. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Colossians 2 verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you all alive together with Him, having <clears throat> forgiven us of all of our transgressions. You see... <clears throat> What exactly did the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter mean when they declared man outside of Christ to be spiritually dead? What did they mean by saying, Tony, you were spiritually dead? What did they mean by that? To be spiritually dead means this. Fallen man has a mind that cannot understand truth. It's like, I don't get it. Uh, one, of, one of my supervisors, by my other job, he said to me, he asked me about it. Uh, as he walked by me like, yeah, what about that issue there? I'm like, well, the Bible, is it a sin? I said, the Bible says it is. He says, no, what do you say it is? I said, the Bible, what does it matter what I say? I said, the Bible says that is a sin. He goes, you see, that's why I don't always agree with, I don't always agree with the Bible. I'm like, what you meant to say was you don't always agree with God. And you were saying, God, you should have let me do this because I know how to love better than what you know how to love. You uh, I said this to him, we have a great relationship, and I said to him, you stand in judgment over God all the time. He said, God, I don't, you shouldn't have done that. God, you shouldn't have done that. God, you're wrong. God, you're wrong. God, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. So really what you are doing is you're God, right? <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we have this standing, standing joke. I always tell him that, you know, um, he's gambling with eternity. 
And so I said to him for his next birthday, which is July the 4th, I will be, he's my boss. I'll be buying him, um, what are those? Dice. Yeah. Dice you can hang on your, <laughs> on your rearview mirror. Just so you, every time you get in that car, when you're getting on that interstate, no, psst, you're gambling getting on that interstate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what did these, these guys, Paul and Peter, mean by saying, I am people are spiritually dead? Well, fallen man is dead because he has no understanding of truth. He cannot comprehend it or understand it. Fallen man has a heart that is numb and cannot respond to truth. His, his mind cannot grasp it. His heart cannot feel it. It's numb. You know what I'm talking about to those of you who lead people to the Lord. Somebody just goes, oh, well, thanks for your time. All right now, bye. Can't wait to get out of this conversation. Their, their minds cannot wrap around it, and their hearts cannot feel it. Their hearts are numb and cannot respond to truth. It's like a dead man lying, a corpse lying over there. Say, do you love me? Do you love me? Their heart cannot respond. Thirdly, fallen man has a will that is dead. To the point where it cannot believe the truth. It cannot believe. You see, a man who is spiritually dead cannot understand the truth, cannot respond to truth, cannot believe in truth as much as a dead man cannot do any of those things. This is why the scriptures say in Jeremiah 5 verse 21, it's referring to this and it says, Now, hear this. O oh, foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble in my presence? Why not? Because we don't see you, God. Can't even hear the thundering of your voice. I'm dead. A dead man can only do two things, folks. Rot and stink. The only two things a dead person can do. Number six, the state of a fallen man is spiritual inability. Jesus taught that it is absolutely impossible for a man to exercise saving faith apart from the new birth. They cannot believe until they are born again. It's the new creature that can believe. The old creature cannot believe. John 6, says, no one can. It does not say no one may. It says no one. Okay, we talked about this, right? There's a difference. The one that cannot is not because he doesn't have permission. It's just he's an unable. The one who may not might have the ability to, but he doesn't have the permission to do it. But here Jesus is saying, no one can. They have no ability to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. <laughs> A dead person cannot jump up and run to the loved ones and hug them in the same way a fallen man cannot come to Jesus unless what? The Father who sent Jesus draws that person. Why? You all believe this. You all already believe this. That's why when you have a loved one that's completely far off from the Lord, what do you do? You pray. You say, God, reach that person. I pray you draw that person. Because we already believe this. That person cannot come to God unless God goes and gets him and draws him. And then Jesus says, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is why Jesus came. And it's impossible for man to be saved otherwise. Because man had no will, no desire, no understanding, and no ability to be saved. And then Jesus goes, wait. For those of you that still wonder about this, and you're still thinking about this, let me repeat myself just a few verses later in John 6, 65, it says, And he was saying, and he, Jesus, was saying, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him. From who? The Father. No one can come to me unless what? Unless it has been granted him. This is God. Folks, if you are saved, you should be the most grateful person to walk the face of this earth. If you are saved, there should never be an unthankful moment in your life. You go, God, thank you. 
somebody slaps you, God, thank you. You know, I can forgive anybody because of what you have done for me. I can do for I, This is where I find my strength. I can forgive because God knows I've been forgiven. I can love because God knows I've been loved. I can have mercy because, oh, God knows I have received mercy. But when we do not have an understanding of the gospel, we do not know what we were saved from. We do not see our need for salvation. We'll fight everyone. We will be a son of a gun. We walk around with a chip on our shoulder like crazy. And this is what that problem, that's the problem. And then we draw them to church to hear some psychological message. You cannot put a psychological band-aid on a spiritual problem. If a person is dead, a band-aid won't make him alive. Follow what I'm saying? Until the church hears the gospel, there's no power to save. Psychology does not save. Motivation does not save. Encouragement does not save. Exhortation does not save. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. Let's read that again because the next question matters. And he was saying, for this reason I have to... I, I, for this reason, I have said to you, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. I mean, so how is man supposed to be saved? If it's up to God to grant him the ability to come to Christ, how's man going to be saved? This is exactly what the disciples were so concerned over. Because remember, this rich young ruler came, and he was like, he was quite a model individual. The rich young ruler. Listen to what happens here in Matthew 19, 25. Exactly what we're talking about. They see Jesus making it hard for a person that's almost perfect already. Jesus making it hard for this person who wanted him, who wanted eternal life. But Jesus says to him, well... First and foremost, don't call me good because only God is good. Let's start there. Why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus knew this guy thought he was good. I kept the law. I've done this, I've done that, I've done the other. So Jesus does mental jiu-jitsu with him. <laughs> and after he spoke to this guy, and the guy walks away sad, the Bible says, because he had much riches, the Bible says in verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, oh, who then can be saved? This is impossible. And here is where the statement comes. Jesus looked, them, looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, that statement there has nothing to do with making money building a company, saving a relationship, a loved one. It, it has nothing to do with feeling better. It has nothing to do with not going bankrupt. I'm telling you, it's, not, it's got nothing to do with you keeping your house <laughs> when the bank's taken it from. No, what it has to do with is when we see how far we have fallen and we see that we are already dead, blind, and ignorant, if we see that we are already haters of good and that we want nothing to do with God, how can that person who has no mind to wrap around salvation, who has no will to choose that, who has no, that man is dead. How can that man be saved? And Jesus said with God, this is possible. Watch me. Watch me. I can do it. God sent me. And this is going to happen. You'll see people jumping out of graves pretty soon you'll see blind people seeing and you'll see dead hearts calloused hearts feeling and responding and you'll see deaf ears hearing i mean do you realize that's what jesus was saying to john the baptist john the baptist was sitting in prison oppressed by the romans he sends a message he goes jesus tell jesus what's going on is he the guy i'm supposed to be believing for because i'm still stuck in a prison Jesus sends him a note back. He doesn't come to visit him. He just sends him a note back. Tell John what? Tell John that, that 
the deaf hear, the blind is what? Seeing, the lame are walking. This is what Jesus came for. So the, so the sixth thing about a fallen man is that he's spiritually in, unable unless God draws him. Folks, when you pray for your loved ones, it's worth it. When you pray, that prayer doesn't go, doesn't go, go missing. When you say, God, with man, this guy here is impossible. But with you, all things are possible. This guy is so dead in his sins. But with you, all things are possible, God. Thank you, God. How are you going to do it? It's not for me to know. But it's for you to do and to know. And I know you will. Amen. How many of you have loved ones you're praying for right now? Yeah? I want to encourage you this week. If anything, may this encourage you to go on your knees and start praying. God, bring back to life every single Lazarus in your family. They're going to choose. Jesus calls them, and they will hear his voice. Almost done here. This is why Jesus came to earth. You see, Jesus taught the power of recognizing one's own radical corruption. Jesus taught the power of that thing there. He taught how powerful it is to hear the gospel and how to recognize who I am and who he is and that it's impossible with man, but it's possible with God. There's a power inside of that. And here it is, Luke 18, verse 10. Please, if you, if you, if you slipped into a little nap, Slip back out, okay? This is important. <laughs> Lazarus, wake up! <laughs> Luke 18.10 says, Two men went to the temple to pray. Jesus is speaking. One was proud. He was a self-righteous Pharisee. And the other one was a cheating tax collector. He's a thief. Slithering snake. You know some of them. Verse 11, the proud Pharisee prayed this prayer. Thank God I'm not a sinner like everyone else. And he wasn't. Especially not like that tax collector over there. Remember they both walked into the temple? And here he's praying. Especially not like that tax collector over there. For I never cheat. Probably not lying. I do not commit adultery. Probably not lying. I go without food twice a week. He fasts every single week two times. And I give to God a tenth of everything I earn. Verse 13, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance, timid. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. But he beat on his chest in what? In sorrow. Something happened to this guy. He wasn't sorrowful while he was cheating everybody all those years. He wasn't sorrowful while he was committing adultery. He wasn't sorrowful while he was living it up. But here, right here, he falls on his knees and he starts beating his chest in sorrow, exclaiming, God, be merciful to me. What? A sinner. A sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this sinner, not the Pharisee, but this sinner, return, returned home forgiven. For the proud shall be humbled, but the humble shall be honored. The proud shall be humbled, but the humble shall be lifted. All right, now, I've talked a lot about pride and humility in the past. But I can tell you right now, I've realized that until I had a revelation of of radical corruption and how far, far, how far man has fallen, myself included, until I realized that's actually how God came to me and saved me from that state. That was nothing to be proudful of. That gave me no right to demand anything. That removed every chip from my shoulder. And continues to, and should, everyone should go through that same. Why? 
because he humbles, he, he, he honors the humble, but he humbles the, the proudful person. Who's the proudful person who does not see himself as radically corrupt? That's the proud person. The proud person is the one that says, yeah, I was fallen man, but I wasn't that bad. Yeah, I, I was dead in my sin, and you know, I was blind, and I was deaf. And you know what? I was ignorant to spiritual things. And yes, I was, I was a lover of evil and a hater of good and everything. But you know what? There was a lot of value to me. You know, I'm very, I'm, there's actually something about me that's worth saving. That's the proud. But Jesus is saying, this man, not the Pharisee, but this man who falls to his knees and starts beating his chest in sorrow, God, save me, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Now that person, Jesus says, goes home forgiven. You know, why is it difficult to believe that? Because it's in your Bible and it's in red. It's because people put Jesus as an Old Testament prophet instead of as the coming king and the eternal Messiah. The Apostle Paul taught something similar. In Romans 7, 21, he says, I've discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me. He's already saved here, by the way. There's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within my flesh, of course. Oh, what a miserable, wretched person I am. Who will free me from what? Hard times? No. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God! The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul was grateful for the work of Christ because he knew how enslaved he was to sin and the result thereof, which is death. The prodigal son is another example of how knowing and recognizing one's own radical corruption is powerful because here the prodigal son, he turned to his father and returned to life at this very marked moment in his repentance in Luke 15 verse 19. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I realize how far I have fallen. I know who I am. This is the reason this generation and so much of the world is repulsed by the gospel. Because the church has disregarded or discarded or dropped the ball. On the doctrine of depravity. Because without it, people, people eliminate that and then they just start teaching the gospel. And until you're hungry, why would you enjoy the food? It is important for us to realize this in order to be thankful, to understand God's goodness, to understand the love of God, to understand the gift of Christ, to understand the glory of the gospel. And if we don't, we trivialize all of the above. Churches are teaching a Jesus who is more like a boyfriend, who loves and yearns to be loved rather than a king to be obeyed or a lord to be honored or a god to be glorified. While the church was supposed to call people to change by dying to self, the church has changed God into a sugar daddy instead. He'll do this for you. He'll do that for you. Come to him. He's good. Nope. Unless this and that is... Sanctification, justification, righteousness, redemption, and all of the above. That's not what he was talking about. If you search, you'll see that the most sought-after sermons are the ones that encourages and motivates a person on how to turn their lemons into lemonade, how to feel better about themselves. And instead of teaching on how to deal with a corrupt sin or ultimate spiritual death, separation from God, we are taught on how to deal with negative thoughts. We are taught on how to feel better. And how to hold on to our dreams. 
You know, I scroll through I scroll through those sermons week in and week out and week in and week out and week in and week out. It's almost like people are trying to out encourage each other. It's like, man, I'm going to be more encouraging than the next guy. It's actually not about that. Why? Because Jesus didn't come for that. Jesus, and I outlined it last week, he came for something very different in 1 Timothy 1.15. How true it is and how I long that everyone should know this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, period. John 1, 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not the hard times, but the sin of the world. Matthew 1, 21, she, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is what Jesus came to do. And until we realize... What that means, we could never be grateful or thankful. I want to finish off by how Jesus teaches the value of knowing one's own radical spiritual corruption in Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for lunch, and Jesus accepted the invitation. As they sat down to eat, a woman of the streets, a prostitute, heard he was there and brought an exquisite flask filled with expensive perfume. Going in, this prostitute knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. With the tears falling down upon his feet, she wiped them off, of her, off with her hair and kissed them and poured the perfume on them. When Jesus' host, the Pharisee, saw what was happening... And who this woman was, he said to himself, This proves that Jesus is no prophet. For if God had really sent him, he would know what kind of prostitute this was. Verse 40. Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Jesus can read thoughts. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher. Simon replied, Go ahead. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people. 5,000 to one. 500 to the other. But neither of them could pay him back. So he kindly forgave them both, letting them keep the money, both of you. Which do you suppose loved him more? Which do you suppose loved him most after that? Verse 43. I suppose the one who had owned, who had owed him the most, Simon answered. Correct, Jesus agreed. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look, see this women kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't bother to offer me water to wash the dust of my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You refused me the customary kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I came in. You neglected the usual courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has covered my feet with rare perfume. Therefore her sins, therefore her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but one who is forgiven little shows little love. Pharisee, can you see how much she loves me compared to how little you love me? Can you see that? You know why? Because you think you're good. You think there's something about you. You don't recognize how far fallen you, you are. You don't see your spiritual ignorance. You don't have eyes to see your need for me. Your mind cannot, has, you're in, unable, your mind has inability to comprehend. As a matter of fact, you're dead. Your heart cannot respond. To somebody like me. But look at her. Look at her. You love me only a little bit because you don't think you sin. But look how much she loves me because she knows how radically corrupt she is. She's forgiven, you're not. The person who is blinded to their own sinful state cannot love the way he could have loved 
had he recognized his own depravity. And so hard as a pastor to go, you got to love God with all of your heart and all of your mind. And you got to, why aren't you loving God? You got to not, don't lose your first love. You got to hold on to your first love. Love God with all that you have. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Love God. And so you'll fulfill every requirement of God. People go like, but my heart's not responding. It's because they don't know just how far they have fallen. Pharisee, you did nothing for me. She did everything for me. Why? Because you do not love me, and she loves me. Why? Because you do not see who you are, and she knows who she is. This is why the church struggles to love God. This is why the glory of the gospel has disappeared. Let's pray for a moment. Father, I pray that we will honor your gospel. And we will elevate your gospel. There is no starting point but with your gospel. Your good news that you have sent. Thank you, God, that you are willing to reach so deep and so far into such bitter darkness to grab dead people who are ignorant of you, wouldn't acknowledge you, couldn't see their need for you, who loved only evil and hated all that is good. We were enemies of you, the Bible says. But you chose us. We couldn't come to you if we wanted, but you came to us. Jesus, you said that. And therefore, like a bride, now we can feel chosen. And because, like a bride, since now we know we are chosen, we can feel loved. Now we know we are loved. And now we can be grateful and thankful. And to you, all the glory goes, and we will share none of it. Thank you, God, for putting this in our hearts. Thank you, God, for helping us understand and thank you, God, for helping us love you more now that we know what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.